Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our author events at www.skylightbooks.com. At our website, you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. And don't be afraid to follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. Thanks for listening and enjoy. And I'm just going to read nine poems for you. And the first poem has a pretty long title. And it's called, What Are You Going to Pay for That With? Your Good Looks? Which is something that my parents always said whenever I wanted something, like back to school clothes or something like that. And they would always say, like, what are you going to pay for that with? Your good looks? Which, um, it's kind of demeaning. So that's what this poem is about. It was said as a reminder to keep my desires in place. Tongue-in-cheek implication, my looks weren't enough to be of value. That I had nothing else besides the poor quality of my face. It was also a hint at their unwillingness to pay for things, standard in the role of a parent. Their saying was always present, even when they weren't. It kept me impoverished, dis disempowered, wanting. My idol in Miami, reading and signing a book I longed to hear her read from. This was the biggest desire of my 22-year-old life, not knowing how I'd afford the gas to get there. The mail came, and I opened the envelope, a check for my modeling underwear at a club. I thought of my parents. I wanted to dial the phone and answer the question, yes. <laughs> So, yeah, so I modeled underwear in a club once. All right. <laughs> These are the things I'm disclosing. This next poem is called December 4th, which is an anniversary poem. Marked on my calendar, celebrated every year. A festivity those not close to me don't understand or think of as an oddity. A boasting and bragging of a sexual adventure. It is the anniversary of when I first had sex. Sixteen and in my mother's car, an older guy with deep red lips, my accomplice, who swallowed, and in that moment I felt accepted. I note the day because it is the closest thing to a gay conception date. There is no other marker or identifier. Sing Liberace in concert, my first wet dream. It was in that moment my life changed. A world opened up to me, and I never thought of going back. I only thought of more. More times, more experiences, more men, and I got it all. I sought it out like a pirate with treasure map. I did it all. It felt like I did the entire city, and maybe in a way I did. <laughs> it isn't really when I became gay. I know virgins who aren't any less gay, but it is the date when the gates of gay sexual pleasure opened, when I became familiar with a man's touch, an elusive date, similar to the stray cat we found. We marked her birthday as the date she came to our house. It was impossible to gauge when she was born. All we know is when she came home.
Thanks. And this next poem I wrote after I discovered a website. I'm going to move this podium up. Can I? No, I can't. I discovered a website called ussearch.com. And what it is, it's a website where it uh, displays information about every address that you've lived at. And on mine, it listed my parents' names and their birth dates and where my parents lived, uh, which is really kind of creepy. And so I opted out, and I had to fill out all this form. But while I was on that site, I thought I could look up um, my ex, the, the guy, the poem, the December 4th was just about. Um, because I, I didn't know what happened to him. So it's internet stalking on a whole new level, uh, this website. And so that's what this poem is about. It's, it's a homonym. Uh, so the title of the poem is Project or Project. I'm going to build you piece by piece. I'll assemble your life, gather the addresses, make a map, track your employers, make a timeline. I'll construct a picture of what you've been doing since we last spoke. Graph the ups and downs of your relationships. But most of all, I'll be erecting a composite of the life I haven't been kept abreast of, wondering if I was ever missed. And uh, I always loved, I think everyone's kind of appeal, like, there's an appealing to the story about like someone who uses their skill for evil. I think that's why we're, you know, like Darth Vader, he, he did that. Um, so it was kind of like a narrative I always liked. And this is the closest thing to a personal narrative I have about that. It's uh, about when I was like probably, I don't even know if I was 21. All right, so it's called Bottle Tosser. Cranking down the window, techno blaring, car speeding at and above the limit, I hurl the bottle onto the embankment, my notoriety riding shotgun with a good arm. Not only was I hanging out with the people my mother warned me about, I was one of them. Not only an open container, contender, and consumer, I littered to escape the law. Bottles from the back seat were passed to me as the inebriated passengers marveled at the throw by the fag who spent years in right field. Coerced to play catch for their parental aims of becoming a baseball star. Caps, cleats, and cups were to make me what they wanted, not what they feared. It didn't make me any less gay. It just gave me a stronger arm. And there are several poems in this book that uh, deal with HIV, and I believe that as people living now, it's uh, something that we've inherited. And this is um, kind of a poem about that. Is it about that? Kind of. It's called The Dead. I read his obituary. Not only will he never breathe, eat, or sleep, he will never fuck. I remember the hot tub, his wandering hands, and I feel honored to have shared that with him. I've shared sex with so many who are now dead. Been there to give a moment of pleasure to a shortened life. Knowing them in ways 
their mourning mothers couldn't have known, knowing their bodies, not like the back of my hand or hometown, but as a quick destination I'd visit for adventure, excitement, ejaculation. I knew their bodies when they had pulses, when their heartbeats quickened and their chests heaved with the intensity of orgasm. To desire them now feels odd, as the very vessel I lusted for decomposes. And when one of our sexual scenes flashes through my mind during masturbation, I appease my guilt, remind myself that this is a way I knew them, an ex-lover's way of honoring the dead and honoring the places I touched that cannot be touched again. So this next poem, uh, growing up in a household that was emotionally, physically, and sexually abusive, um, this poem is just a slice of that. It's called After the Ball Game. I'm on the toilet, pants around my ankles. My mother knocks, opens the door, lets herself into the bathroom. After a baseball game, I was forced to play. I should have locked the door. I'm naked, exposed, vulnerable. I am captive. She sits on the edge of the bathtub and talks to me about how much I embarrass her. My light voice, my, my light voice, my limp wrists, my lack of baseball ability. You know, if you keep acting like a girl, maybe we should start putting you in dresses. I cannot think of ways to leave this situation. My pants and underwear rest on my cleats, my ass dirty, my torso naked. You seem to want to be a girl. Maybe we could go to the doctor and he can make you a girl. I sit humiliated, listening to her words of degradation, teased in the halls of school, spitwads aimed at me on the bus, and now this. The toilet, the timing, the topic keeps me from retelling the story for 20 years, still blaming myself for being girly and not locking the door. She will not mention this conversation again. I don't either, out of fear of hearing her words. This is when I thought silence would protect me. And I just have three more poems. Um, it's called Playing with the Doll. He'd undress her, slipping overalls off her stiff shoulders, push them down to the cement basement floor. Her four-foot plastic body stood as if she were a frigid woman, not wanting to be touched, stone still in fear. He'd throw the naked doll down face first, press his thick body against the jaundiced glow of her synthetic skin. He writhed on top of her, a young boy of nine, grinding his hips into the part of her legs where if she were flesh, there would be a hole. 
I sat in the corner and watched as the real humped the unreal. I let it all happen out of relief that I was not her, that my clothes were still on, that his body was not pressed against me. When it was me, I was as motionless as she, as silent as she. While he ground into her plastic body, I wondered who did he like more. This is when I thought touch was love. This is when I thought what he did was a sign of love. His rifling and raping of the doll did not elicit fear or desire. Just wonder at how all of this felt to him. I wondered about the overweight boy with harsh, cold hands who would touch me, hold me down, find a replacement for me in this doll. He finished and we went upstairs. Later, my mother would find her, matted blonde hair, naked, face first on the ground, a violated synthetic woman. She would ask, in my youthful honesty, I would tell her, it was him. It was the neighbor who frottaged and fucked the oversized Patty Play Pal. You're such a liar. Don't blame it on anyone else. You're sick, Stephen. It didn't really bother me to not be believed. Like my father's fist, my mother's backhand, my neighbor's weight on me was commonplace. And I was the stone-faced doll that took it. And so as gay men, uh, we do a lot of thinking about like the men in our lives and our fathers and uh, our lovers and friends. And uh, this poem, I have several poems in the book about my grandfather, who's a special person in my life. So this poem's about him. It's called 100%. My grandfather pulls me aside, shows me his cardigan, baits me for a compliment. I'm hooked. I comply. He tells me it's wool opens the right side, shows me the tag, 100% virgin wool. He brings out his charming smile. You know how hard it is to find a virgin these days. I laugh at his joke, and I keep laughing as a reward to him, because I like that he has shared this with me. I enjoy the role of grandson. He's the only man who can take me there. I fear my other relationships with men could end what we have together. A man whose 78-year-old body carries him through his weekly routine, three games of golf, two games of bocce ball, and dancing on a ballroom floor. His comment only to me. His humor was not lost on his 20-year-old gay grandson. He must know. I've never said it. I've never not said it. The joke, universal. Is that why he told it? He told me of times in the army, his valued possession a photo of the green-eyed blonde beauty with thin lips, who would become his wife, the mother of his children, my grandmother. He told me that when he was 13, he learned why women were to be respected. He saw a mare giving birth, stood there for hours as blood, embryonic fluid, and water poured out of her, finally a foal, 
and my grandfather was never the same. Steve Arino, after that, I never talked back to my mom. I always held the door for the ladies. I vowed to be a good husband. You see, I realized that women create miracles. His life has been centered around women. This is something we do not have in common. We laughed over virgins, but thought of different ones. My grandfather, a man who pats my head, rubs my back, kisses my cheek, tells me he loves me, and hopefully isn't ashamed that other men do the same. Thank you. And so for my last poem, um, once again, being all autobiographical poetry, uh, this is a poem about, uh, or is, is Martin here? I don't know, he could be ducking out. So this poem is about someone uh, I went on six dates with, and um, I only told him after the book was printing that I, about it. Um, but I was really thankful that he's a talented artist, and so he was flattered about it, and then did a drawing, an intricate line drawing, and so, this is the line drawing that he did, and since we're all here at the book release party, there are um, 60 of these uh, signed lithographs that Martin did, and for the first 60, I guess that stand in line for a signing. Those of you that I signed your books ahead of time, if you just stand in line, um, we're giving these out for this first 60 books. All right, so this is the last poem. It's called Sixth Date. Oh, it's so funny to read a poem about someone in the room. All right. <laughs> We sat on his couch facing each other, backs against armrests, feet intertwined. He told me he wanted to teach me Spanish pronunciations, asked me to repeat after him. I attempted to mimic his words like a parrot to its owner, struggling with the rolling R's. The foreign words spilled clumsily from my mouth. He suggested he name off animals and I was to guess which one. He changed the lesson plan. My feathers ruffled as I assumed it was because I wasn't good. He gave words for cows, penguins, dogs, and doves. I was surprisingly good at assessing and assuming translations, but those weren't the words I wanted to know from him. I wanted to ask about trust, attraction, the meaning of our touching feet, and most of all, I wanted to know our future. Thank you. Thank you. All of you have really good taste in poetry. <laughs> Do we have any questions for Stephen? Yeah. Hey. Who was your idol that you wanted to go see that you weren't sure you got the best money for? Oh, it was Sapphire. When I was when I was 22 years old, I was um, crazy about Sapphire, who now is kind of in the spotlight even more than ever with uh, the movie Precious, which is based on her book Push. But uh, I was 22 years old, and there wasn't anyone more in the world I wanted to see. My process is different for um, 
Well, it, it varies. Um, my process, what is my process? Well, first of all, it's sitting down and writing. You know, I mean, that's it. Like, that's a big part of it, is just kind of like allowing time in my life to write and also really wanting to be emotionally specific. That's what I'm quite focused on, is really trying to be um, specific about the experience, but also about what was going on for me. And I also never, um, I try not to cheat the poems. I really trust the page. And um, some of the things in the book are things I don't normally talk about with friends, but it's, I trust the page. And so I feel like that's where the story could be told. And uh, there's one poem in the book uh, called, my mother tells me she wants uh, pajamas, preferably flannel which I initially took out. It was only when going over the proof of the book I realized it wasn't there and I remembered, oh yeah, I chickened out and, and totally asked them to, to take it out. Um, but I felt like that feels a little cheap to me to not tell you the full story. And so I guess part of my process is trying to be as honest as possible about what's, what's happened and what's gone on and what I've inherited and um, you know, just the culture that I'm a part of. Did any of your poems start out as six-minute poems? <laughs> <laughs> that is coming from one of my students. <laughs> um, I teach the My Life is Poetry class, and she asked if any of my poems came from six-minute exercises. Uh, one of my idols is Sharon Olds, and I signed up, and I was selected to be a part of a small, intimate writing group of hers, not really knowing. I, I thought she would just be there and like talk about poetry. And the assignment was that she had gave us 45 minutes to write a poem, and then we had to come back into the room and read it in front of everyone, including my idol. Um, so I was sweating a lot, but actually one of the poems, um, what did I read? No, none of the poems I read you. But um, one of the poems in the book, oh, The Dead. No, that was it. The Dead I actually wrote in 45 minutes. And it was just uh, feeling that pressure and that um, performance anxiety, you know, that I, I had to read something in 45 minutes. I had to come up with something. So, you know, time writing exercises work. It, doesn't, it didn't allow me the luxury of time of doubting myself. So, yeah. Yeah, my parents are living, and um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Until the, until they get the book, um, so that's uh, yeah. Hmm, that'll be interesting. I I don't. I mean, but part of it though is so the poem I took out was about my mother having affairs, and. Um, I mean, which is so funny, like all the things like I disclosed in this book and then my mother having affairs, like I felt like I was going to keep that secret from her and my dad or something. Um, but I feel like I was a part of this experience and you know what, like these are my stories and it's not necessarily my job to uh, hold on to other people's secrets. And these things that happened are really, um, there were things that happened to me, kind of a lot of things that were not asked for. And, and so I don't really feel like it's my job to be secret about it. And I know that that's what our society tells us. I mean, there's this huge thing about, you know, I come from a Italian French family, like this whole thing about like going against the family and not talking about family secrets and er airing dirty laundry. Um, but I don't know what that serves or who that serves. I have, I have no clue. I think um, silence protects the predators. I don't, you know, um, and I don't want to be a part of that. So that's part of being really honest in my writing. So, so your mom will read the thing about the toilet, and that will be the first time that she has that experience of what 
Yeah, so the question, can all of you hear the question? So the question was, so my mom will read the poem about uh, her approaching me while I was on the toilet. What will she think of it? She knows it happened. She was there. I mean, that's part of it too. And I don't need to emotionally take care of her. You know, I wasn't emotionally taken care of. You know, I mean, so so there's really that thing of, um, wow. though it might be kind of brutal for her to hear, it was brutal for me to be a part of that experience. Wow. Um, so that's, that's kind of my take. I mean, it's also, you know, will they be in a store looking in the poetry section? Will they Google me? I don't know. Um, will I be sending them the book? No. So, yeah. That's. Norman Mailer said, if you have a writer in your family, you're basically screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? Going? Going? Well done. <laughs> So what I'm going to do, I'm going to move this out of the way. We're going to put another table. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Ashling and Arlo. You can check them out at MySpace or Facebook or at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.